Welcome to the Breath Magazine podcast. Learn more about Breath Magazine and sign up for our newsletter to receive the latest news and updates at our website, breathmagazine.com. And now for today's episode. All right, today we are preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, those of us who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, a lot of times you kind of follow the King James and we say baptized in the Holy Ghost. But if you, if you look at the Greek, the Greek never says Holy Ghost. It always says Holy Spirit. But just know that if I say Holy Ghost, I'm meaning the Holy Spirit. Now, in this message, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture. The important thing is to hear the message and take it in with your thinking. You can go back later and you can check the translations. I am preaching from the RSV translation, but you can go back and check the scriptures after you hear the message because hearing the message is vitally important. So you understand what is going on, what the writers are saying, what Jesus is saying, and what the message is. So I'm going to read from Luke 24 to start us off. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, Then he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you when I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ... He uses there the uh, definite article, the Christ, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And that's a sea change right there, because the gospel is not limited to Israel anymore. It is going out to all the world, and you see that in that one line. But it's the next two verses that I want to concentrate on. He says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, or look, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Notice what he says to his disciples. I'm going to send you the promise of my Father, but you stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. This wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't some kind of option. This wasn't kind of, do I have any volunteers? This was a command from the resurrected Lord that you don't go anywhere in my name, but you stay in the city until you receive the promise of the Father and you are clothed with power from on high. Now, Before he gave this command, this didn't come out of thin air. I mean, the disciples didn't look at each other and say, well, what in the world is he talking about? He had explained what was going to happen to them after he was resurrected and and finally ascending to the Father. I'm reading from John 14. This is part of his explanation. He says, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. And we're going to come back to that at the end of the message. But he goes on to say, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor 
to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you or among you, and he will be in you. Notice that he says the sp- that the world cannot receive the Spirit. And that goes to show that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a secondary or a second um, event following being born again. Because the sinner, the, the one who is not born again, the world cannot receive the Holy Ghost. Let me skip down to John 15, 26. Jesus says, But when the Counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. Amen. And then let me give you one more. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So what Jesus says there is, that he has to ascend on high, and then the promise of the Father will come. And we see that in the event of Pentecost that we're going to get to in just a minute. But you see that he says, if I don't go away, the paraclete or the counselor or the advocate will not come to you, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. He personally will send the Spirit Now, notice that his language, the Spirit is not an option. The Spirit is not a convenience. It is something that he intends to do, and it's a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. I will send the Spirit, the promise of the Father, to you. Amen. Now, let me add this, uh, John 16, 8 through 11, Jesus adds, and when he comes, this is the Spirit, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, here's the thing of this. Jesus says that when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convince the world, and he goes through what we just read. The thing is, he's not going to do it on his own. You know, it's not like the church says, okay, Jesus is going to send the Spirit, and so let's all get out our lawn chairs, let's get a real nice place in a field, and let's watch this happen. No, the Spirit is going to work through the church. The Spirit is going to convince the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment through the church. And that means you, and that means me. He's not going to do it on his own. He's going to do it through us. Amen. So, let's talk about the promise of the Spirit and what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, uh, in setting this up or in addressing this, I want to bring to your attention um, a quote by a Bible professor because uh, this quote is prevalent throughout the body of Christ. 
it is kind of like what the ordinary line is about the day of Pentecost. And he says this, On that occasion, meaning Pentecost, the followers of Jesus were enabled to speak with other tongues, and he has in known languages, to preach the gospel to Jews from all over the known world who'd come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. That is not a true statement of Pentecost. We're going to get into the fact that with the baptism of the Spirit is the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. Not known languages, but other tongues. So if you are following along in your Bible, turn over to Acts 2, and we're going to read about the account of Pentecost. And I want you to see something that you probably have not heard before, but it's pretty clear in the text. All right. So we're at the day of Pentecost, and this is what Luke writes in the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let's stop right there and just kind of rest a minute and take a look at what Luke is writing. He says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So you see that on this first day of the promise, when the promise is, quote, unleashed, the first time we see it, the first time that Jesus sends the promise of the Spirit to the church, we see that they are all, quote, filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues. The other tongues is the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Ghost, And we're going to see that is consistent throughout the book of Acts. It says, Other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, or as the Spirit enabled them. This is supernatural utterance. This is not out of the intellect. This is out of the Spirit. It's through and by the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of man is speaking through Well, you're speaking through your own mouth by the power of your own spirit that is infused with the Holy Ghost. Now, this is where we get into uh, the rest of the account. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And this is where there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ, this line right here. Because the prevalent line is that the tongues that we just read about were known languages. Languages that, you know, uh, people from Egypt, we're going to get to it, people from Asia, uh, Phrygia, uh, Rome, and other places um, that the Spirit enabled the 120 to speak the native languages of all these listeners. But if you look at the account, you see that Luke doesn't say, he doesn't write 
that the 120 spoke in native languages. They spoke in other tongues. The thing is, these uh, Jews in Jerusalem from all over the place, what happened with them is they had supernatural hearing on this particular instance. Look what Luke writes. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because what? Not because the 120 were speaking native languages. He doesn't write that. He writes this, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So what's the scenario here? Well, you have a guy from Egypt who's hearing the 120. And hearing the 120, the 120 are speaking in other, in other tongues. What that man hears is he hears them speaking in his native language. But here's the deal. He's standing next to the guy from Rome. The, Rome, the Roman is hearing the 122, but the Roman hears the 120 speaking in his native language. Not the Egyptian's native language, but his own native language. And it goes on and on. Um, you go down and Luke writes about Parthenians, uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, all kinds of places. And so what you have is you have this crowd, this crowd of people from all different kinds of places. And they hear the disciples speaking in other tongues, but what they hear is each man his own native language. That's what Luke writes. It's kind of like this, just to kind of give an example, a hypothetical example. Let's say you take two of your friends, um, you're in New York, and you get on a subway car. Uh, one of your friends is French, and the other one is German. And the subway car is full with people. And once it starts going, all the people start talking at once, and what you hear them talking is English. Let's say that they're all doing what uh, the 120 are doing here. They're speaking about, or what you're hearing are, the great deeds of God. The thing is, you're standing next to your French friend, and your French friend says, oh my gosh, look at this. All these people in New York are speaking French. And you say, well, no, they're not. They're speaking English. And she says, no, they're all speaking French. And you guys go back and forth about it. But then your German friend says, well, you, you're both wrong. They are speaking German. And you, you both look at her and say, well, what are you talking about? No, they're speaking English, speaking French. That is the scenario in Pentecost. Why? These tongues were a sign to the unbelievers. The Jews there were the unbelievers, and these unknown tongues were a sign. What the Lord did on this particular occasion, though, is that they had, he had all the hearers individually hear their own native languages. Amen. Now, one of the, uh, one of the lines preached today is that the reason why the 120 spoke in native languages, which we now know that they didn't, 
was so that these Jews could go back to their home countries and spread the gospel. But that is not what Luke's account says. In fact, we see that the, uh, the unknown tongues were assigned to the... Going with verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So now we know what that means. And they were amazed and wondered and saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And you go back to the hypothetical, you know, it would be, well, who are, who are these people? What in the world is going on here? Because I'm hearing French. And, or, you know, you say, well, I'm hearing English, your friend is hearing French, and your other friend is hearing German. And so you, that goes into verse 8. And how is it that we hear, we hear, not that the 120 were speaking native languages, but we hear each of us in his own native language. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and Luke goes on and on. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That means that the unknown tongues were meant to be a sign to what? The unbelievers. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians. But then you get to those who started mocking. After this was going on for a while, they started mocking. They're always mockers. But others mocking said, well, they are filled with new wine. But you take a look at the rest of the account and what happens. Peter stands up with the, other, with the 11. And he says, men of Israel, and what's he do? He preaches the gospel to them. And at the end of his message... The, the Bible says that the men were cut to the heart and they said, what do we need to do? What do we need to do in order to be saved? And they get saved. And once they get saved and they get baptized in the Spirit, that's when they take the gospel back to their native countries. The Bible's completely consistent. Tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. It's not through tongues that you preach the gospel. The preaching is in your own native language. Through the power of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, tongues are a sign. Amen. Let me add this, that unknown tongues that we see in Pentecost is the fulfillment of a prophecy all the way back in Isaiah, Isaiah 28.11. It says, But by men of strange lips and with an alien tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, This is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. Amen. Now, Pentecost was the first account of the baptism of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Then we go over to Acts 8. Acts 8 speaks about the Samaritans. Now let me read the account to you. Now when the apostles, 8.14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. 
You go up further in the account and you see that Philip preached Christ to those in Samaria and uh, they got saved. Well, after they get saved, the people in Samaria, then we go into Acts 8.14 and what? Peter and John come down to Samaria. And starting with verse 15, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see that this is... Uh, This is after they had been born again. For it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, most preachers or uh, most non-charismatic preachers stop there. And they say, they preach and say, well, see, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit without the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But what they do is they ignore the context. Let's read on. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon, Simon was a sorcerer who got saved up in earlier on in the account, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now, you see that Simon... He watches Peter and John lay hands on the believers in Samaria. And Luke writes, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the question is, what did he see? Because he had to have seen something. I mean, if Peter and John came all the way down and just laid hands and nothing happened, then Luke wouldn't have written, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given. Now there are some preachers who say, well, it must have been joy, but if you go up earlier in the account when Philip is preaching, there was great joy in the city because, what? They had been born again. What Simon sees here is the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and that's in the context. When Peter says, You have neither part nor lot in this matter. The word matter in the Greek is logo, which is word or message or utterance. And so what Peter is saying to Simon is, you have no part or lot in this, what? Manifestation of spiritual utterance. You can't buy the laying on of hands in distributing the baptism of the Holy Ghost, is what Paul is saying. So the context here is that the people are baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Amen. Let's go to a third account of the baptism and speaking with other tongues. And this deals with Saul of Tarsus. This is an inference. It's not explicit, but you'll get the inference once we go through the scriptures. 
In Acts 9, we see the account of Paul on the road to Damascus. It reads, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. The famous road uh, road to Damascus experience of the Apostle Paul. Now, once Paul goes to the city, the Lord appears to a disciple named Ananias. And listen to Luke's account of what happens with Ananias. This is in Acts 9. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Luke's language for being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, meaning water baptized. Now, this account in Acts doesn't explicitly say that Paul started speaking in tongues right away. But we know that the Apostle Paul was baptized in the Spirit by these verses here, and we know that he spoke in other tongues. How do we know that? Well, he says so in 1 Corinthians 14. He writes to the Corinthians in correcting them about uh, the use of tongues, the purpose of tongues, and he says in verse 18, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So there you have the Apostle Paul is a Pentecostal believer. And he's a Pentecostal believer on the day, really, that he is born again when Ananias lays hands on him. Then we go to a fourth account, and this is Cornelius. This is Cornelius where the baptism comes to the Gentiles. This is in Acts 10. Luke writes this. While Peter was still saying this, and what Peter was saying was, he was explaining a vision that the Lord gave him, basically that the the Gentiles were no longer unclean that the Gentiles were supposed to, uh, they are now part of the gospel. You can read the account uh, earlier on in Acts 10. So here, Luke picks it up, and it says, when Peter was still saying this, Peter's at Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Roman centurion, and Peter is preaching or speaking to Cornelius' household. They're all Gentiles. They're all non-Jews. And Luke writes this, The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. 
And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed. That's one way of saying the Jews who came with Peter, the believing Jews who came with Peter, were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Now notice the very next line. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So there you have, again, the Holy Spirit falling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. Right there in Scripture, no doubt about it. Then Peter declared, Can anyone forbid water? for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So you see that here, while Peter's preaching, that the Holy Ghost falls. And what? And Cornelius and his household begin speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. We have... One more account in the book of Acts, and that, that is the disciples at Ephesus. So we move over to Acts 19, and this is what Luke writes. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Again, the baptism is secondary to being born again. The word is consistent. And they said, no, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So there you have, actually, in all the instances besides Pentecost, you have the laying on of hands and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. The baptism of the Spirit includes the evidence of other tongues. Now, let me read to you the first part of Acts that's going back to Jesus' commandment. Listen up. Paul, uh, Luke starts off the book of Acts with this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now listen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. This is what I want to get to, verse 4. And while staying with them, he charged them, other translations say he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
We've seen through uh, the book of Acts five instances where the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and every instance, including the inferences, everyone speaks with other tongues. Jesus said, and we read it earlier, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And right after that, he goes into, I am going to send you the promise of the Father. And he told the disciples, you wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It was not an option. Jesus didn't say to them, well, for some of you, why don't you stay in, in the city until I send the promise of the Father? He didn't give anyone the option to opt out. There is no account where anybody said, you know what, Lord, I understand what you're saying, but I'm going to head to Nazareth for a while until the promise comes, and I kind of want to see what happens to see whether I like it or not, whether it's something for me. No, he included the order for everybody, for every believer. All the New Testament writers were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see it. We see it with Peter when he stood up on the day of Pentecost and addressed the crowd. We see it with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul talked about speaking with other tongues more than even the Corinthians, who seemed to uh, appear to speak in tongues all the time. It is not an option for the believer. Why? Because what Jesus said is, it's the power of being witness. It's the power of being the church being a witness to the world. To what? Convinced of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So if you're not baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, then this message poses a challenge. What are you going to do about the commandment of the Lord? Because he says, and you go back to uh, John's Gospel, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then he heads right into what? I'm going to send to you the counselor. It's advantageous that I go away because I can then send the counselor to you, the spirit, the promise of the Father. And Pentecost is the account of him sending the promise. And then we see in the account of Pentecost that it is the evidence of speaking in unknown tongues. It's not native languages. It's unknown tongues. So what we're saying today is, you know, today you hear, you hear all this talk about how people are uneasy with tongues. How believers are, well, I don't know about the tongue business. Well, you have to answer not to the preacher, but you have to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. The risen Christ said, stay in the city until you are endued with power from on high. There were no options. As a friend of mine preaches, the endowment is with power. It's not with weirdness. It's not with strangeness, but it's with power. And it's the power of being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it's so important that he went away and said, it's better that I go away then sting, because if I go away, I can send this promise to you. So for the believers who are not baptized in the Spirit, you really have to come to grips with 
the Lord's command. You need to find a preacher to lay hands on you to receive the baptism of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Let me leave one verse with you to show you how important this is. Not just the power of being a witness, but it's also the power of being a disciple. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul writes this, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. See, right there you have, it's not a native language. It's not a language to be learned. It is an unknown language because Paul says, for no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were uttering mysteries in the Spirit. It's just that what God did is a miracle for Pentecost, that the hearers heard them speaking in their own languages. And if you go through Pentecostal history, you see accounts of that happening over and over again. So if you're not baptized in the Spirit, you need to run down a preacher, run down a believer who is baptized because you see what the scriptural pattern is. The laying on of hands, except for Pentecost, which was the initial um, unleashing of the promise. You see, say, Peter and John coming down to Samaria laying hands on the Samaritan believers. You see Ananias laying hands on the Apostle Paul. So you seek out a preacher to lay hands on you for the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. It changes everything. Everything. And actually, then you won't have to answer to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, um, I understand what the commandment was. I didn't obey the commandment, you know, uh, when you have to stand before him on the day. So let me end with the uh, benediction. I pray that now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.